Hey, we're all looking to save, especially on medical bills, but where do you start? Now, unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings, well, it can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and they flag errors like overbilling or wrong codes and fraud. And you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, saving starts with knowing where to look. Go to their website. It's HealthLock.com today before you see any other healthcare provider. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, Sean Hannity here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, well, instinct, that might drive you to reach for a lethal means immediately. but We all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of using deadly force. Now, enter the Burner Less Lethal Pistol Launcher. It is equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo. It can incapacitate any attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states. It requires no background checks, and it can be shipped right to your door. Go to their website, byrna.com slash Hannity right now, and you'll get 10% off. This is the Sean Hannity Show podcast. All right, happy uh, Tuesday. Yes, it is primary day once again, just when you thought it was all over. Let's see if Hillary can lose even more states. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, man. All right, reaching over to my printer. Glad you're with us. We are loaded up today as we have our pollsters, John and Jim McLaughlin. A lot of poll numbers show Donald Trump is in a dead heat, gaining on Hillary every day. There's a new poll out that shows that Hillary's uh, negatives have gone up dramatically. Trump's have gone down nine points. Gravis has it a two-point race. And then, of course, we have the Quinnipiac poll in the swing states that show a dead heat. So that's getting pretty interesting. New poll from NBC News shows Trump gaining rapidly on Hillary. That's a 48-45, a two-point Gravis poll difference. Now, Barack, by the way, and this is interesting, he won 93% of the black vote in 2012. Now, Hillary's already starting to show signs she's way behind, which means the race card is going to be played an awful lot this year uh, with black voters. Clinton was able to maintain her frontrunner status by winning over the black and Hispanic vote, but she does well among these voters over Trump, but she wins black voters 84 to 9. Okay, wins Hispanic 65-28. Well, that's way off from what Barack Obama had the last two election cycles. And Trump is the preferred candidate among white voters, 14 points over Clinton, 53-39, up slightly from last week's 11-point margin. So something to keep an eye on. I don't think the polls mean a whole lot yet. You still have the predictable convention bounces that are going to come. You've got more protests and more anger within the Democratic Party. I played the cuts yesterday of Barbara Boxer getting booed off the stage by mentioning Hillary Clinton's name at the Nevada convention. It didn't go well at all. Top Democratic officials, according to the Politico, are begging Bernie Sanders to call off the dogs and put an end to the kind of of protests that happened Saturday in, at the Nevada Democratic convention. Interviews with state Democratic chairs, other party leaders in a dozen states by Politico 
Some who back Sanders, some who support Clinton are very worried that what happened in Nevada and the meltdown this weekend might be a harbinger of trouble and upcoming state conventions and perhaps even the July National Convention in Philly. Some expressed a high degree of alarm and hope to head off any further clashes by encouraging Bernie Sanders to call for a cool down. I hope Senator Sanders would understand that this is not only damaging his own reputation and standing, but also doing great harm to the Democratic Party, unless he encourages his supporters to be more genteel in their protests. This is priceless. She mentions Hillary's name and it gets even worse. Wow. I mean, that just it actually gives me chills. Sort of like Chris Matthews. You get a thrill up your leg hearing Democrats freak out like that. Well, just kidding. Um, now, we have some other stuff. We have more Hillary Clinton scandal out there today that we're going to get to. Finally, Republicans, I'm not sure what's going on here. They may actually be getting a backbone. You got Senate Republicans calling on the president to fire His top foreign policy advisor, Ben Rhodes. Now, we went through this story in great detail last week after Rhodes admitted two weeks ago that he had totally concocted all these lies about the Iran deal and he pushed it through a gullible media. Leading members of Congress are calling on the president now to fire Ben Rhodes and he should be fired amid a deepening scandal over these accusations that the White House intentionally, I won't use the word lie, but they lied. Uh, to lawmakers and the American public about the contents of last summer's nuclear deal with Iran. And they lied purposely, and they lied regularly, and they admitted they'd never get it past you, the American people, if they told you the truth. So they're playing games with our homeland security. Why this is even an issue, Rhodes is going to skip a Tuesday hearing before the House Oversight Committee as it investigates the claims that he and other senior White House officials engaged in outright misinformation, lying, and a campaign that was designed to get approval for this contested Iranian deal. Well, anybody that lies to the American people to give the mullahs in Iran $150 billion, well, they're not serving their country well. Use whatever term fits. But it doesn't sound like America's interests were put in play here in any way, shape, matter, or form. There is a dilemma that is emerging for Hillary You got the president expected now to veto the legislation just passed by the Senate, which would allow 9-11 victim families to sue Saudi Arabia. That's for damages by the attack of the World Trade Center. That Obama veto. Now, let's see where Hillary stands. That could put her in an awkward position. The White House yesterday and earlier today reiterated its threat to veto the legislation allowing Americans to sue the Saudi Arabian government for any role they played in the 9-11 terror attacks. The Senate unanimously approved the bill on Tuesday. White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest said that late adjustments are not enough to satisfy the president's problems with the measure. Now, we still have this 28 pages that are redacted from the 9-11 report, commission report that came out detailing a deeper involvement by the Saudi government. In other words, what I have been told by people that read it is that, in fact, Saudi Arabia was funding 
the hijackers and the terrorists while they were here in America preparing their attack. All the families of the victims, the 3,000 Americans, nearly 3,000 Americans killed that day, ought to have the right to litigate the issue of Saudi Arabia's culpability here. Why wouldn't we do that? Why is everybody hiding for the Saudis? There, you know, there's something about Saudi Arabia that ought to annoy everybody that I can't quite put a total finger on. I, I understand as a Sunni, the, the Sunnis and the Saudis, uh, I understand their battle against the Iranian Shias. I get it. I understand that we've got a partner with one side. I understand that we're getting embedded sort of like the United States uniting with the former Soviet Union to defeat Adolf Hitler and Nazism. I, I, there's a certain wisdom to that. But we also have to recognize a basic truth about Saudi Arabia. This is a corrupt, repressive regime that currently is trying to drive American fracking, the American fracking industry into the toilet by manipulating oil prices so they can maintain their monopoly and thus America's dependence on foreign oil. And as soon as all those fracking companies go out of business, which they're doing, then they're going to gear up the prices for a barrel of oil. And then once again, Americans will have to restart their efforts at, at becoming energy independent. We should continue regardless of what they do. They're not friends to America. And the fact that so many politicos in America, including the Clintons, go hand in, you know, go with their handouts begging for Saudi money. In this case, I would argue if these 28 pages are accurate as described to me, blood money, you know, what what did Hillary Clinton get with the millions of dollars the Saudis gave to the to the Clinton Foundation? Well, they bought her silence. She never criticizes how women are mistreated in Saudi Arabia, how they're forced to dress a certain way that they can't drive or vote, that they can't leave the house without a male relative. If you're a woman, they can't go to school or, or work without permission. Well, I would think the champion of women's rights would do something about this. No, nothing. Silence, not a zip. And speaking of Hillary, by the way, so we've got Oregon and Kentucky today. Just to set the table, you got the grumpy curmudgeon, 74-year-old self-proclaimed socialist who has now won 20 contests against Hillary, including most recently big wins in Indiana, West Virginia. And Sanders has crushed her. By the way, but their system is so corrupt after she gets the superdelegates that they end up even so bernie keeps winning she keeps losing and she keeps getting as many delegates as bernie that's how corrupt democrats are anyway so sanders is likely tonight to add to his state total he's expected to carry oregon kentucky it's a little hard to tell hillary's been campaigning hard the last number of days she thinks she has a shot but the best that hillary could hope for today is a split and there's no other way to view this than to say her campaign is is crippled. It's like limping along. The one thing that Bernie Sanders has done, if you are hoping to end the Obama regime and agenda, which Hillary would continue, is to watch how weak she is against Bernie Sanders. New polls showing that she's in a tight contest with Trump. She's not pulling away. Trump is catching up in every category. She's plagued by a million new ethics scandal revelations. Last week, we told you the story about the Clinton Global Initiative funneling money to Bill Clinton's girlfriend, Julie McMahon, the energizer, as the Secret Service calls her. 
Liberal newspapers like the Washington Post are featuring front-page stories on how unlikable she's viewed by Americans. Close friends and supporters even admit she's a horrible candidate. All the enthusiasm in the Democratic Party, all the large crowds, all the energies with Sanders, as they have been for the entire campaign, and at a time when Clinton should be getting stronger, she's getting weaker. Now, she's going to be the Democratic nominee. The system is so corrupt, they've given it to her. And if you wonder why, the answer is superdelegates. In other words, the delegates are the party activists. She's got 500 of them, and Bernie has 39 of them. In other words, they're not bound by the vote of the people, and therefore they can vote for whatever candidate they want. And in almost every instance, she's gobbled them all up. The L.A. Times provided an example that helps explain what it means. They point out, take last week's West Virginia primary. Sanders clobbered Clinton in West Virginia, 51 to 36. But when the delegates were divvied up, Sanders won 18, Clinton won 11. Then you add in the super corrupt delegates, and the results are Sanders gets 19 and she gets 18. She lost 51 to 36. So a landslide victory that cut into Clinton's overall delegate lead by one. That's it. I mean, if I'm Bernie Sanders, I'm fighting mad here. The system, you know, is just rigged for Hillary. I mean, that's the only way you can say it. You know, the, the same as when it was rigged for Obama when superdelegates helped him win the nomination from her. It's the way they do their dirty work in the Democratic Party. If you think the Republican Party has problems, look at the Democrats. Look at what happened in Nevada. So Hillary will get the magic number on their side, which is 2,383, but she's not in good shape when she falls across the finish line. And if you want to understand why, and then she might have to take somebody like Elizabeth Warren, the phony Native American. And she claimed to be a Native American while working at Harvard. She's not Native American. It was an outright lie. Claims to be a minority. They even featured it in, in her name when she was featured as Harvard's one of Harvard's great professors. Teaches one class and gets just under, what, $500,000 for teaching one class. Democrats know how to take care of themselves, I got to tell you. Now, Hillary yesterday sought to reassure voters by telling them, oh, I'm going to put my husband in charge of revitalizing the economy. By the way, that is such a bad idea. For one thing, she's trying to build a bridge to the past rather than the future. She's trying to use a formulation her husband used against Bob Dole. Elections are always about the future. Young people have no clue who Bill Clinton really is, and the more they learn about him, the more they don't like him. And Hillary talking about the past and and trying to run as a co-president here, you know, it's it reminds voters she's been on the national stage for, you know, most of her adult life, which explains why so many people are tired of her or just outright hate her. Nobody finds her honest and trustworthy. And the so-called Clinton miracle that she keeps talking about, well, that was during the dot-com revolution, which goes a, a distance to explaining the strength of the economy. Also, it was Newt Gingrich's vision to balance the budget. It was Newt Gingrich's vision to reform welfare. It was Newt Gingrich's uh, vision that fixed the economy and stopped the slide. And, you know, when Hillary's invoking bills, she, she just can't contain it to just the economy, stupid. She's going to have to remind people of his corrupt personal character. My and husband, more- who... I'm going to put in charge of revitalizing the economy because, you know, he knows how to do it. And um, especially in places like coal country and inner cities and other parts of our country that have really been left out. 
Yeah, okay. I'm going to put you coal miners and you coal, uh, you coal miners and you business people out of work. Whoops. Sorry. You know, it's, it's just not going to work. You know, so what is she going to have to pick Elizabeth Warren? Good luck with that. It's not going to work either. America is the biggest problem she has is the Obama economy that she supported. There's never been a president that's accumulated more debt. He will accumulate more debt than every other president before him combined. Median income is down 5,000. Millions are more out of the workforce. Uh, You have millions more in poverty, millions more in food stamps. You cannot run on that record. You cannot say lying to the American people was a good idea over the Iranian deal. You cannot run on Benghazi. You cannot run on any of the things she's planning to run on and win, I don't think, after Obama. So if Ben Rhodes lied about the Iranian deal to get it passed, knowing that it wouldn't pass otherwise, and now Republicans are demanding that Obama fire him, Obama's not going to do it. I can almost guarantee you. Just like he lied, and it was evidence that was shown in the Wall Street Journal, April 30th, 2014. New evidence, Ben Rhodes told Susan Rice and Hillary Clinton to blame the video. And then you think the lies about shovel-ready jobs. Ha, ha, they're not so (laughs) shovel-ready. Or like your doctor, keep your doctor. Like your plan, keep your plan. Well, that didn't happen either, did it? I mean, so many examples, not only you lied to, just outright lying for political benefit by an administration. I don't think I've ever seen anything on this level in my entire life. You know, you go back and you look at sticker shock, for example. How many times have we gone over uh, throughout these recent years exactly what the Republican Party you know, predicted and what people like myself predicted would happen if, in fact, Obamacare ever passed. We told you that the rates would go up and the rates would go up dramatically. Well, it's all now coming true. We have the numbers. And then everyone's being funneled into the exact same system. Just And I used the thing. It was going to be a funnel, just like we predicted it would happen. It's unbelievable. Now we've got a president that is expected to veto the Saudi 9-11 bill. What's Hillary going to do? What lies are they going to tell here? I can only imagine. The lying never ends. And people are gullible. Hillary still starts out with 47% of the vote, meaning the the Democratic Party's vote. Starts out with 47%. That's a lot of votes for somebody to start out with. That means that it's that much harder for a Republican to win anything. All right, I want to deal with some of that. You know, this is, for me, I have said... I'm not going to spend my time on this radio show trying to convince people that have decided they're never Trump to vote for Trump. Now, I'm more frustrated with the Republican Party, especially leaders, because I think they have a greater responsibility to listen to the will of the voters. Donald Trump was elected by the largest majority of Republican primary voters in the 160 some odd year history of the Republican Party. That is the will of the voters. That's what they decided. And every exit poll showed the same thing. They're frustrated with Washington, D.C. Republicans. They feel betrayed. They feel that they have been failed. We've gone through the many examples. Why? What I can't understand is what's happening with Governor Romney, Bill Kristol, Ben Sass, and, and somebody who's always been a friend of mine. I have nothing bad to say about him, Eric Erickson. I can't understand, you know, for example, We expect that Trump at some point, probably before the convention, maybe sooner than later, from what I'm hearing, is going to 
give a list of names for the Supreme Court. The next president may appoint as many as three or four justices. That is going to impact this country for generations. It is that deep and profound an issue. And to allow the Democrats or Hillary to make those appointments would be a disaster. Now, let's assume that this pool of names that Trump releases are what he says they're going to be. Originalists, constitutionalists, people like Justice Antonin Scalia and Justice Clarence Thomas. That would be great, not good, great for the country. On that one issue alone, I could find myself, especially knowing the names ahead of time, voting for a candidate. And then if, say, that candidate were to build the wall, move America to energy independence, and if that candidate could repeal Obamacare and give us health savings accounts and and have some degree of economic restraint and try and balance the budget, I mean, it'd be a home run from where we are now, which is a country in decline. Those would be great things for the country. You know, it's not, you know, to me, if I had to write out, and I said there are two things that I would like to see Donald Trump do in this campaign that I think that would help him with conservatives and help him win the election, general election. The first thing that I would do is not only, I told you, I've told everybody, I think Newt Gingrich is the guy for VP, but it's up to Donald Trump who he's best comfortable with. That's not my decision. But I would also mention a team of rivals. Like Rudy Giuliani could be a great attorney general or Secretary of Homeland Security or Chris Christie could do one or two of those jobs. You could pick a great general as Secretary of Defense. Ben Carson can transform health and human services and repeal Obamacare and replace it with health care savings accounts, which he talked about at length on the campaign trail. And then you could go to people, look at look at the great record of, of Governor Rick Perry and Bobby Jindal and Scott Walker and and Nikki Haley, although I think there's some bad blood there, or Jan Brewer. You know, they could all be a part of the team. In other words, a team, a dream team of rivals that Trump could announce maybe at the convention, maybe sometime after the convention. And then if I was Trump, there's one other thing I would do, taking into account the level of distrust that so many Republicans have about D.C. Republicans, I think it's time that they put their promises on paper. We're sick and tired of being told, well, we'll repeal and replace Obamacare. And then they wouldn't use the power of the purse. And then we're sick and tired of being promised, oh, we'll stop executive amnesty. We're going to do it if you give us the Senate. And then they end up funding it. And then they, you know, John Boehner's speaker was close to $5 trillion in debt, and he had the power of the purse. There's no excuse for that. They didn't fight the Obama agenda. They didn't want to be blamed for a government shutdown. They didn't show political will and strength and courage of their convictions. And as a result, that's why so many people feel betrayed. So if I was Trump, I'd do it in Trump style, too. If I was Trump, I would make... You know, almost like uh, the Ten Commandments. I don't know. Trump's promises to America. Put it in gold because he seems to like gold in all his apartment buildings. All his buildings, they seem to have a lot of, like Trump Tower, when you says says Trump Tower, it's in gold. But I would put it in, you know, put it out there. He can sign his name to it. And then Republicans running for the House or the Senate, they can decide whether or not they're going to sign on to this agenda. And I would imagine on most items, there'll be some level of disagreement, but on most items, for example, if if item one of the 10 items is balancing the budget and stop stealing from future generations, I think Americans would would like that to happen. 
I think Americans know it's morally, instinctively, they know it's morally corrupt to keep robbing from future generations. I think if number two, again, this is I'm, I'm writing this in Trump speak. You build the wall to protect American jobs and protect the homeland. Okay, that's been a big part of his agenda. Number three can be repeal Obamacare and replace with health savings accounts. Number four can be make America energy independent, drilling, uh, coal mining, fracking, nuclear energy, and new technology, all of the above. Number five can be fix America's trade imbalance and demand trade fairness. Now, again, I'm not talking protectionism here. Negotiating better deals is not the same. And it's, it's his agenda. But I think it would be something in our best interest to pursue. Number six, we've got to think about homeland security. Destroying ISIS, radical Islamic groups that have declared war against America. And I don't think we have to necessarily send troops in. There might be times, but I hope not. Number seven would be rebuild America's military. There's no greater in, uh, incentive. To, I'm sorry. There's no greater message you can send America's enemies than if you've got the baddest, meanest, toughest, most proficient fighting force with the, with the latest, most modern equipment available. Well, building up your military prevents military conflict. And it's not a paradox. It just works. Number eight can be fix our broken VA system. Keep our promises to American veterans. Number nine could be ending Common Core and sending education back to the states. Number 10 could be doing undoing Obama's executive orders. Put it down on paper. And then Republicans, they can run on it if they choose to run on it. And that is pretty much the things that he has told me in a lot of the interviews that we have. Now, you've got this team out there. I have a very hard time. I really do. Disliking Mitt Romney. I think he would have been a great president. I'm somewhat puzzled. Bewildered. I, I liked his family. I thought his wife was wonderful. I, I found him to be a really good guy. I thought I understood him and understood his family. I have great appreciation for how hard he worked. I, I would have run some things differently if I was running his campaign, especially at the end, especially during debates, etc. But I, I don't know why he has now taken on this cause of now trying to get a third party person to run, which would guarantee Hillary's victory. Nobody did that to him. I wouldn't have supported it being done to him either. Donald Trump went out, campaigned, and won. And the agenda that I just laid out, which I think you should put down on paper, is what he ran on. You know, I, there, there's so much out there. And, you know, it seems to be that it's it's Ben Sass, Governor Romney, Bill Kristol, Eric Erickson, who's a friend of mine I've known for many years, that are all a part of this. Now, Eric writes uh, for a website, The Resurgent. And there was a piece titled Republicans for Hitler. And I have it in front of me. And near the end of the column, he writes, the neo-Nazis, white supremacists backing Donald Trump, you know, like, you know, fetishized Hitler, too. Trump dog whistles to them and the Republican establishment joins them in howls of delight. One need not reach beyond. And it just goes on and on. Anyway, so it goes on to say. 
conclude that the current Republican Party would support Hitler, too, because Hitler, thanks to the Reich, is not Hillary Clinton. Third Reich, in other words. I don't understand this argumentation. I don't understand this kind of headline. That Republicans who support Trump are for Hitler if, if Hitler ran against Hillary. I, you know, it's irresponsible, it's reckless, it's indefensible to me. I am not going to spend my time on this program trying to convince people. What I'm having a hard time understanding is if Trump lays out the names of people that he would appoint to the Supreme Court and you like them, if he would build the wall, which is good for our security and good for protecting American jobs because you have people crossing that border competing with Americans for jobs and we have 95 million Americans out of work and it drives down wages for those Americans that are fortunate enough to get the few jobs available. If he would send common, get rid of Common Core and send education back to the states, if he'd make America energy independent if he'd repeal Obamacare and replace with health care savings accounts and be a little more fiscally responsible than Obama. What is it that any one person wants from the government? What are you looking for? I'm not trying to, to tell people who to vote for. I'm not going there. But I, you know, it, I just think some people have lost it here. I understand the frustration. I have friends of mine. That wanted Ted Cruz in the worst way. I have other friends of mine that wanted Marco in the worst way. I have friends of mine that wanted Rand Paul in the worst way. Friends of mine invested in John Kasich and Scott Walker in the worst way. Wanted Jeb Bush in the worst way. I understand the amount of, you know, the disappointment that people feel if their candidate loses. I understand. I'll even accept that some people are going to sit it out because they don't like either Trump's style, temperament, or question whether or not his his positions are, are steadfast or whether he'd negotiate them all away if he's pro-Second Amendment, pro-life, etc. I can accept it. But this is way beyond that. This is now an effort that is being pushed to guarantee that Hillary Clinton will pick the next justices. That she'll be the next president. She's not building a wall. She's not picking a conservative for the Supreme Court. She's not repealing Obamacare. She's not going to make America energy independent. Just the opposite. She's getting the putting the coal business out of business. Coal miners out of work. They can join the other 95 million Americans out of work. You know, I'm not insulting people that, you know, that have taken principal positions. I think leaders in the party have a different obligation. At that point, they've been supported by the party. They have, a, they have more of an obligation to support the people's choice here. But to, for people that are just hell-bent on losing and, and knowing what is going to win, I'm having a hard time understanding it. Or, like I said, I'm not insulting people that are voting another way, but, you know, to be to compared to, oh, well, you know, so you're like supporting Hitler, Republicans for Hitler. I just, I don't know it. I don't understand it. I don't know where it's coming from. Anyway, too few Republicans will come out on this and their integrity intact and too many Republicans thinking they can change Donald Trump will instead one day find that Trump has changed them instead. But hey, at least she's no Hillary Clinton. Republicans for Hitler. I don't know. 
But I guess that's the Republican Party for you. Imagine I'm on a debate stage with Donald Trump. Now, personally, I am really looking forward to it. And so let's suppose, here's the question. So what is your plan to create jobs? His answer is, I'm going to create them. They're going to be great. I know how to do it, but I'm not telling you what it is I'm going to do. And I'm going to say, here's, the here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to change the tax code. Here's how we're going to incentivize people to do it. Hillary is just not funny. I don't know what else to say. Anyway, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, right down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. We'd love to hear from you. 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, Pat Buchanan is coming up at the bottom of the hour. Carrie Prejean, remember, she was, what, Miss America. She is uh, quoted in this New York Times hit piece about Donald Trump, takes issue with what she is portrayed as in the in the piece so yet the story falls apart even further as i mentioned and governor greg abbott will join us but first we have the brothers mclaughlin the two best pollsters in the country john and jim mclaughlin founders of mclaughlin associates i assume it's only john jim is never on time so oh come on i, I was i beat you both i was here early sean no what did you what you set the alarm an hour ahead no, shocking it's, be, it's because linda scares me yeah, she Good. Can. we should get Linda on the phone too. Get all three, get, yeah. get her on the line. Get all three McLaughlins here. I think that's not a bad. All right, so we have some latest polling out. We have in right. Georgia Trump versus Clinton, Trump plus four. We have general election matchup Gravis, and it's Clinton plus two forty eight forty six. Close numbers, but really what matters is the electoral college. You have both done a national survey for May. Completed on May the 16th, yes, you found sir. that the president's job approval rating is uh, ticked up slightly, 50-49, 50 approved, 49 disapproved. You found for the first time since last year, the Democratic generic vote for Congress tops the Republicans, 46-42. Independents prefer a Democrat, 39-29. And you found some interesting information about both Hillary and Donald Trump. John, right. tell us what you got. And, and uh Trump's closing the gap. The last time we had this over a month ago, he was down seven. Now he's down four, 46 to 42. And what's more interesting is that his favorables have improved the net of nine points, where uh, last month he was a 65 unfavorable and he had a 33 favorable. This time it's 37.60. Now they're really still net negative, but his numbers are more malleable than hers, that he's able to improve more. And her numbers, on the other hand, she only had a two-point improvement where she's a uh, 40 favorable and a 56 unfavorable right now. So her numbers are going to be harder to repair because we've known her for 24 years in the national spotlight. We know what we got with her, and his negatives uh, is something that he could actually fix in contrast to her. So uh, uh, you're going to see, I think you're going to see Hillary Clinton going heavily negative, and Jim's pointing out to me that she's going up, or the super PAC that's helping her is going up, with, an, with uh, negative ads again. Uh, but don't you think there's going to be equal matching of money in terms of negative ads that are going to go out there? I, I've got to believe that's all going to sort you, of you know, Sean, contrary cancel itself out. Yeah. yeah. Contrary to popular opinion, what normally happens in these things is the Democrats outspend the Republicans, especially when you throw in all the union money, all the outside groups. And the reason, to John's point about, too, it's just if you look at the undecided voters in the presidential race, and about Hillary Clinton's numbers, not she's 
her negatives are baked in there. The undecideds at the end of the day really want to vote for Donald Trump. They're more likely to tell you in surveys that, you know, they want the outsider. They want change. And actually, uh, Barack Obama's negatives, his disapproval rating goes up with those undecided voters. Now it's a question for Donald Trump to fill in the vacuum with those folks. You know, John, you, you wrote me a note last week when I was talking about, is there a group of people out there, as one poll suggested, that would never admit to a pollster that they're supporting <laughs> Donald Trump? In other words, he does a lot better on these online surveys, surveys that are anonymous right. and not as well when they're actually talking to a real person. So right. can you glean anything from that? Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I think there's a hidden vote because for years I've worked for people like, uh, you know, that the media didn't necessarily like. So when I worked for Jesse Helms or Frank Rizzo or for uh, uh, even when they were going after Arnold Schwarzenegger or they were going and raising his negatives, or like when I was in Israel with Prime Minister Netanyahu, the media was so negative that people are like wondering who's on the other side of a live interview. Should I tell them I'm for, you know, uh, uh, Donald Trump? And uh, your pollsters are now speculating about how if it's done online, well, it's more anonymous, so so Trump does better. And what's here is you have a, you have more of a hidden vote where there's, there's probably two groups. There's the 12 percent that's undecided who overwhelmingly think the country's in the wrong direction, overwhelmingly want to change direction from the policies of Barack Obama. Um, to also there's a group that's uh, uh, unfavorable to both, which is 26 percent of the entire electorate. And there they're tied 35% for Hillary, 34 for Trump. And they're going to be the ones who decide the election. Uh, and so you've got, I think Trump has more of a chance to move his favorables up by contrasting with her and contrasting with things where he stays to the issues where he talks about the country being on the wrong, dire- on the wrong track, headed in the wrong direction, that we need to move away from the policies of Barack Obama, which the majority of voters in the United States, 56%, want to do. It gives him a chance to move his ferals up and allow some of that hidden vote to become unhidden and actually, you know, close the polls, which this one is saying is happening, as well as pull ahead. Yeah. What about, as we, we look at all of this, what's the, let's talk about electoral votes here. Let's talk about states. What states would you expect, both of you expect, to be in play this year? Or does the typical, predictable electoral map stay the same? Now, I, I think you're going to see some different states here. I don't think there's any question, you know, you're going to see states like Florida and Ohio that are going to be in play. But I also think you saw it in that Quinnipiac poll last week. You see a, uh, a state like Pennsylvania, where folks feel like they've been left behind economically. You had a governor there. There, you know, big tax increase, and it hurt the economy there. Uh, places like Wisconsin and Minnesota. I think that, uh, you know, Donald Trump can do really, really well in those states. And the main reason is the two big issues of the day, the economy and jobs and national security. If you saw those Quinnipiac polls, uh, Donald Trump was actually beating Hillary Clinton in all three of those swing states on those issues. And I think those are the big issues of the day where Donald Trump really has the ability to make inroads among those uh, swing voters in those key battleground states. Yeah, so what... I would well, let's go over the states by name, though. I want to name states here. Where does Florida go? Quinnipiac had Florida, Pennsylvania, and Ohio pretty even. Trump yeah. was up by four in Ohio, but down one in Pennsylvania and Florida. Where do those states go? Where does North Carolina, Virginia go? Where does New Hampshire go? Where does Wisconsin and Michigan go? Where does New, New Mexico go? Where does Iowa go? Where does uh, Nevada and Colorado go? Yeah. New well, Jersey. Where does New Jersey go? 
Yeah, they're all up in play right now. And the, and the difference is uh, the Democrats are really relying on uh, the minority vote to a big extent. And in this national survey we had, uh, Trump is getting 13 percent of the black vote. Romney got like five or six percent. And and the Hispanic vote, Hillary's ahead, but it's 55-27. Romney got 27. So in spite of all the negative press in the states, because when you mention Florida, I think Trump wins Florida. And and the thing is, he's not doing as badly with the Hispanics as they expect. And then he's attracting working class uh, voters where he's opening up the Northeast and the Rust Belt to the Republicans again. Plus, a state like you, you, you didn't mention Colorado, he could flip Colorado. So uh, uh, you've, you've got these opportunities where the map is going to be more malleable, more in play, and it's mainly because of Hillary's negatives. And Trump can create an opportunity out of it, particularly when Sanders and uh, Hillary are still engaged yeah. in this primary. And, and yeah. Sean, you did a good job mentioning all the other states, and I would definitely throw Colorado into the mix. And the other state I would throw into that is Nevada. Where I think uh, I don't think there's any question that I think Nevada is going to also be one of the battleground states, and I think just off the list you just mentioned, that's a big list of states. That's a big list of battlegrounds that are going to be in play over the next couple months. Is there any that I'm not thinking about? I mentioned New York. I, I, I for some reason, I, even though Trump's from New York, I just don't know if I see it in a city like New York that has eight to one Democrats to Republican and and has eight million population or nine million population. Well, the difference is, well, you've had Republicans win it, uh, going back to Pataki in 2002. With, yeah, yeah, and point. we had his and vote, though, together, it's almost 6 and 10. And you've had D'Amato win it. And Reagan was the last one to win it in 84. But the last time a, pre- a Republican candidate played here was in probably, uh, probably in, 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 you know, 88, 92. But I tell you, the thing that really hurt last time was Romney only got 35% in New York. But the only time he came here to raise, was to raise money, and then when Hurricane Sandy hit, he ignored us. So Trump, it's his home state, and now if they want to hit him for New York values, you know, he's definitely more of a New Yorker than Hillary is. He's got to do well like he did in the primaries where he could, he's got to blow it out on Long Island, win big in, in Suffolk and Nassau, do well upstate, get 60%, which he can because she's got high negatives and the economy is terrible up there. They won't let them frack. They won't let them, uh, you know, do anything to bring jobs in. The manufacturing's leaving. Uh, his trade positions will appeal up there. But the other key thing is he could do well in the outer boroughs of New York City and actually pick up the ethnic votes. That survey that we have uh, that we just released today, he's winning among Catholics. The Catholic vote in the outer boroughs along with the Jewish vote, which is you know, uh, uh, important and mixed in terms of Orthodox and, and, and as well as other types of Jewish voters. I mean, Trump's winning the uh, uh, Catholic vote 47 to 42 in a national survey. There's no reason why he can't appeal to those voters in New York and put it in play. I mean, it's, it's a long shot. Would New Jersey be, be easier in a sense? I mean, a state that Christie's now governor of? New Jersey's easier in that, uh, I mean, Romney got 41% there, in spite of the fact he ignored it there, because there's more of a Republican base. But, you know, when you look at it in, time, in terms of the Northeast and you go, well, if you can put Pennsylvania in play, you know, southern New Jersey watches Pennsylvania TV. And if you can put Pennsylvania and New Jersey in play, why not put New York in play? And, and it's all in the same media, uh, uh, you know, court. Do you think any other candidate could have done this? Do you think, in other words, at the end of the process here, one of the things people have been asking, and I know at the end of the the primary season, one of the big arguments that Ted Cruz was making is that Donald Trump can't win. Is is were the voters right in this sense 
is Trump, of all the 17 that were running, do you think he was and is the most electable? Well, PR-wise, he, he commands immediate attention like no other candidate. We've never seen anything like this. And that clip you showed when you were first putting this on, you're, you, you played, where Hillary sounded like a fool, where she was trying to act like Donald Trump. And she has what I call, a, there's a big performance gap where Donald Trump is connecting with working-class Americans, and Hillary Clinton is just showing she doesn't connect. And whether we like it or not, Barack Obama had the ability to do that. Hillary Clinton doesn't have the ability to connect with average working-class Americans. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty profound what you're saying. Look, she doesn't have her husband's warmth and charm. She doesn't no have the oratory skills of Obama. Bernie Sanders supporters seem to be angry at her. I don't, I don't know if you saw what happened in Nevada over the weekend, but, <laughs> I mean, they were booing Barbara Boxer off the stage at the very name of Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can play it for you, but it was intense, and it was loud, and it was crazy. And I think that's very telling, and it also is indicative of what the polls are saying. West Virginia showed that 40% of Bernie supporters wouldn't go to Hillary, they'd go to Trump. Yeah, right. yep. And, and, and I think that's one of the, the two most underrated uh, stories I think you're seeing in the uh, national media right now is, one, is the real dissatisfaction among Democrats, especially base Democratic primary voters. We saw that, you know, roughly about three out of ten of those West Virginia Democrats said they wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton in the general election. And the other one is the reverse gender gap is what I'm calling it. I just got back a survey in an area where Donald Trump is up among uh, among uh, men by about 15 points. Hillary and, and with women, he's in a virtual tie. So, yes, the press loves to talk about, you know, Donald Trump not doing as well as with women as Hillary Clinton is, but she's got a real problem with male voters right now. And it's not just among white male voters. It's also among Latino and African-American male voters. Yes. I just don't think she's very likable. I mean, let's be honest about this. I don't, I don't see her resonating. I don't see her as somebody that is connecting, as you said, with people. And, and I think the scandal issues are going to hit again and again. And, by the way, Donald Trump will have his, his hiccups. I mean, that, that, that tape came out when he was being his own press person. Things like that are going to come up. He's going to probably curse on the campaign trail or something. But, you know, I do think when he announces the Supreme Court justices, if they are conservative, as they say they will be, I bet a lot of conservatives on the fence come on board for that reason alone. Yep. And, and you're right about the negatives on Hillary. Like in the base, the Democrats, she had it in this national survey, 25% negative, liberals 30%, moderates 49%, African-Americans 27%. Hispanics, 49%, and women, 52%. And see, Linda oh. McLaughlin could talk to the women. You could get her on the oh, phone. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, we got to go. That's, we have three McLaughlins here. I'm outnumbered. Goodbye. Thank you both, John and Jim and Linda. Uh, so, Mr. Speaker, I read that statement as well, and I'm still up a little confused. Are you endorsing Donald Look, If you're not, what is holding you back? And do you really have a choice? I mean, what, you're the, not voting for Hillary Clinton. The, the process of... of unifying the Republican Party, which just finished a primary about a week ago, perhaps one of the most divisive primaries in memory, takes some time. Look, there are people who are for Donald Trump, who are for Ted Cruz, or for John Kasich, who are for Marco Rubio and everybody else. And it's very important that we don't uh, fake unifying, we don't pretend unification, that we truly and actually unify so that we are full strength in the fall. I don't want us to have a fake unification process here. I want to make sure that we really truly understand each other and that we are committed to the conservative principles that make the Republican Party, that built this country. And again, I, I, I'm very encouraged. I, 
I heard a lot of good things from our presumptive nominee, and we exchanged differences of opinion on a number of things that, you know, everybody knows we have. There are policy disputes that we will have. There's no two ways about it. Plenty of Republicans disagree with one another on policy disputes, but on core principles. Those are the kinds of things that we discuss. And again, I'm encouraged. All right, that was Paul Ryan, 25 now till the top of the hour. Toll free, our number is 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program responding to what Paul Ryan has been saying and doing and not endorsing is Patrick J. Buchanan, who joins us now. His headline in his latest column is Pat Buchanan, who promoted Private Ryan. Ouch, how are you? Doing fine, Sean. How are you? I'm good. Well, I understand. I'm a, I was more annoyed. I'm less annoyed now, more mildly annoyed at, at Paul Ryan for doing this. Uh, when he first mentioned it, I said, well, maybe we won't support you for speaker. And that p- got picked up by a lot of people. To me, after a year and some odd months of, of campaigning, you would think he knows what Trump's positions are now and what part of him does he disagree with. He should just come forward with it. Well, that's, that's correct. And uh, Ryan does disagree, for example. Donald Trump is an economic nationalist who would put the reindustrialization of America ahead of any free trade ideology. And Paul Ryan's a free trade ideologue. But, Sean, the point here is Donald Trump is not asking Paul Ryan to give up any belief or any policy position or stance he's got. He has won the nomination. And the simple question is, Are you going to, is Paul Ryan going to endorse the Republican nominee? Is he going to take a pass and sit this out, or is he going to endorse Hillary Rodham Clinton? Well, I think he's trying to flex his muscles and try and negotiate some kind of deal with with Trump. Look, there are three things, three issues that I see they have disagreement on. One, you nailed it, trade. Number two, the 11 million people that are here illegally, whether to send them back. And the third one would be touching entitlements. Now, Paul Ryan believes that we, we cannot get to a balanced budget without dealing with entitlement reform. I actually think probably over time, seeing the numbers, Trump might make some adjustments to that. But those are the only three issues. I, I would believe he wants to fix the VA. I would believe he wants to rebuild the military. I would believe he wants health care savings accounts. Uh, I would believe that he wants the wall built. Maybe not because Republicans haven't done it. So there's a question mark there. Uh, the I would believe on is this. Who is Paul Ryan to ask Donald Trump to alter or compromise positions which he took and he articulated and he fought for and which won him the Republican nomination? Upon what ground does this our Caesar, or upon what meat does this our Caesar feed? I mean, look, what he's asking Trump to do is to compromise the positions Trump told the American people he would hold and defend and and basically in an act. Anyone in anyone Pat on Paul Ryan's part of Donald Trump and I don't I mean I'm glad Trump was very gracious to him but he shouldn't make any concessions to Paul Ryan. Look, Mr. Ryan's got a choice. As I said, he can endorse, not endorse or go with Hillary. No, I think that's the choice. I think that's it. Now, what area, for example, if the Trump people say that they're going to announce the pool of candidates that they would use to pick for the Supreme Court. I would think if if Donald Trump was serious and only appointing originalist, constitutionalist like Scalia and Justice Thomas, then I've got to believe that that list might be just enough for every conservative on that one issue to I push them over the top. Idea. I mean, but Trump has never indicated he would do otherwise. I mean, every conservative just about I know admires 
admired the late Justice Scalia and would like to see men like him and Thomas and Alito appoint, appointed to the Supreme Court. And I think Trump, is, he ought to try to unite the party. He ought to reach out and he ought to say, look, we're going to talk to the Federalist Society guys. There are a lot of people in the Republican Party, conservative movement for whom this is the first issue. We're going to bring those guys on a committee and give us a list of judges for federal appellate court and for the U.S. Supreme Court. And I will certainly be looking at that, and I very probably will be drawing from it. No problem. Yeah, look, if, and if he lists those names and says, this is the pool of people I'm going to consider and nobody else, and it is a conservative list and a list that people would admire. From what I hear, they have been asking groups like the Federalist and the Heritage Foundation and other groups. I wouldn't lock myself into something like that because, you know— uh, Frankly, you know, I've, I know Ted Cruz and he, Lion Ted and all that, but I wouldn't mind seeing Ted Cruz pointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. If, I, I wouldn't mind at all. Said. I think he sees his career politically and in electoral politics, but there are members of the United States Senate who I would be happy to see what on about the U.S. Mike Supreme Lee? Court. How about Mike Lee? Exactly. Mike yeah, Lee's good, I, but my nephew works for him. We don't want to lose his job. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find them another job, Pat. I think it could probably work for you in your old no, age. He's an outstanding senator. He's doing a fine job. and But that's exactly the type of person, is someone who you know, many Democrats would also say, look, Mike Lee's a good guy. They're going to appoint conservatives, and, and, it's, and it's they won the election. It's their turn. We go along with him. What do you think about a team of rivals? In other words, you bring in Newt Gingrich, you bring in Rudy Giuliani, you bring in Chris Christie, you bring in Rick Perry. Let me agree with you, Sean. I really believe, you know, the Republican field of candidates was not all that impressive when they got up in the NFL, if you will, presidential politics. But there are 10 or 12 or more people in those Republican primaries and caucuses who are outstanding in their states and who would fill out a cabinet extremely well and whom you'd be delighted to have there. Rudy Giuliani is, I mean, I disagree with him on social issues, but, you know, as, a, uh, as an attorney general or, or the Governor Chris Christie as an attorney general is fine by me. That'd be fine by me, too. One could be the chairman or the secretary of uh, Homeland Security. I think that would put fear in the hearts of our enemies and give comfort to Americans to know that finally we're going to have somebody that recognizes uh, modern day evil. You can put, you know, why not Dr. Ben Carson to overhaul Obamacare? We have new numbers out today that show how disastrous this thing is and and how expensive it's gotten and how many companies have bailed out. He could be the secretary of health and human services. There's got to be a place for Rick Perry. There's got to be a place for Bobby Jindal. There's got to be a place for either Susanna Martinez or Nikki Haley. I mean, these people have done great jobs or Scott Walker or Marco Rubio for that matter. Although I think Nikki Haley <laughs> might have uh, might have gotten on the wrong side of the Donald, but everyone there you mentioned, you're right. Or they, I don't think anybody in the city of Washington D.C. would uh, would really sharply contest almost any of those appointments as being perfectly qualified individuals. They seem to have a lot of energy. Many of them are traditionalist conservatives. They don't have the the Donald's views on trade or or immigration, maybe or or even on foreign policy, but on domestic, a lot of domestic policies and small government issues, I think they'd all be fine. Yeah. You know, who do you like for VP? I'm just curious if you could pick one person. I wouldn't, uh, as I think we went around once on this before, Sean, I wouldn't pick one out because I wouldn't want to, you know, I just wouldn't want to say so, but there, it's a tough call. In this all right, let, let me put it this way. I think Rubio's out, and I think Kasich is out. Now to pick. Well, here's what I would consider. 
number one, you got to win the presidency of the United States. Number two, he's got to be qualified if something happens to you one day and you're no longer here to sit in that chair and run the foreign policy and the defense policy of the United States. Most of us think these fellows are fine on domestic policy. You need that. Or you can need someone who can bring you a decisive state. You need someone, I think, who's going to be compatible with you. And uh, and there's other attributes, and Trump has mentioned himself, someone who can work with him on, the, on Capitol Hill, sort of a Biden type for uh, Barack Obama. So there's a lot of considerations, and... Uh, and I, you know, and someone. So you're, you're going to punt again. You're going to punt. You're going to punt. Outsiders. You know, the funny thing is, is you've never punted in your whole life. You're punting. Well, no, I'm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if it were me, I'd have no trouble picking him. But I'm not picking for him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you like. What do you think about this? I um, I like the idea because every every exit poll showed sixty five percent of Americans feel betrayed by Republicans. The Republicans feel betrayed by their own party in D.C. I think the idea of putting down on paper 10 ideas, and here's my 10 ideas, balance the budget, stop stealing from future generations, build the wall, protect American jobs, and protect the homeland, two. Three, repeal Obamacare, uh, replace with health care savings accounts. Four, make America energy independent, drilling, coal, fracking, nuclear, new technology. Five, fix America's trade imbalance and demand trade fairness. That's a Trump uh, position. Six, destroy ISIS and radical Islamic groups that are declared war against America. Seven, rebuild America's military like Reagan did. Eight, fix our broken VA and take care of American heroes. Nine, end Common Core and send education back to the states. And ten, undo Obama's executive orders. How's that? Well, I'm, that's a, that's what a am good I missing? List, but you don't have Paul Ryan's... Uh Reform uh, the entitlements. Uh, that's not what the president's running on. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's not what he's running on. Look, but my own view has been, rare, is, uh, been, you know, don't write things down all the time. But I do agree with that list, basically. I might edit it a bit in terms of, on the trade policy, my view is that, look, don't worry about the, the, the trade is a means to an end. The end goal is the reindustrialization of America. Restoring America's economic independence and self-sufficiency, which we had in the 19th, we've had for our entire life almost uh, since the Civil War. Restore that, reindustrialize the country, and, and the trade policy should be designed around the goal, which is reindustrialize America, make us self-sufficient. Well, I love the idea of bringing jobs back to America, but look, for example, I think a strong case could be made. I mean, look, I understand Americans want cheap products. I know that China provides them, but it also has destroyed our manufacturing centers, and our factory towns now have become ghost towns. Sean, Sean, how did we we first industrialize from the Civil War all the way up through World War II when we had the highest wages on Earth? It's quite simple. You put a tariff on manufactured goods coming into the country. 20% tariff will get you $500 billion. Take the revenue and make American companies more competitive by eliminating the corporate income tax. And if you Mm -hmm. can't do the whole thing, do it for every small business in America and cut the corporate income tax on the larger businesses to where they're the lowest in the competitive world. Bring the companies back into the United States. 
Listen, we'll the it. first yeah. thing the first thing we ought to do on that front is there are not billions but trillions of dollars overseas multinational corporations they park the money overseas in tax haven countries because they can't bring it back to the United States because the government's going to take forty percent the state the state will take well, another ten percent. That's, that's the folly of that's, it. See? That's the fault. But they, but here, let them bring it back at a five percent one time tax. I would trillions do that, of dollars. Here's the other thing: the reason why I say don't tax corporations. Yeah. Big, every corporation in the world passes it on to the consumer. Orders and its production in the United States. Yeah. That's well, what they we also want. listen. Corporations don't pay taxes. Exactly. People got to remember this. Tell me that in the White House, Pat. Well, corporations don't pay taxes. They but don't because the they pass it on to us. When I pay taxes for that, where do you think it comes from? <laughs> it comes from you paying higher prices exactly. for goods you and services. I, it comes right out of what I earned. Yeah. All right, so what do you think is going to happen? Is he going to win? Trump going to win? I think Trump's got a shot at it, and I'm, I tell you, I'm very impressed with the tightness of these polls. One of them had him two points, and then you got Trump doing well in these states, uh, the you know, like Ohio and Florida and uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah. There's a real possibility, but I'll tell you what I'm concerned about is this really could get a uh, the muddiest thing, uh, the muddiest track they've ever run a derby on. <laughs> no, listen, I don't think there's any doubt. This is going to be one ugly campaign. You just, there's nothing you can do. It's, well, you know, it's I'm, just... what's sad about it, I almost wish you'd have a, a disarmament agreement that with Bill and Hill, and the and the enabler and Bill's antics and yeah. uh, oh, my Donald's gosh. You just... youth and all the rest of and it. And then you got James the Comey. Let's talk about the economy yeah. and defense and building up this country and securing the border and all that. I got to run, Pat. Then we went. Patrick J. Buchanan, thank you. What about the entire lead of the piece where it says you had barely met when he asked you to change out of your clothes? The article quotes you, uh, actually says, he took me into a room, opened drawers, and asked me to put on a swimsuit. That is a direct quote, is it not? No, it is not. Uh, what I said was what I would say to anybody when they ask me how I met Donald Trump would be at a pool party at Mar-a-Lago. You're going to get the story, what they say continue, uh, that I went to a pool party there with my agency and Donald and I struck up a conversation. It was a very good conversation. We were walking around, talking. He started showing me different parts of the Mar-a-Lago from the entrance. We started discussing architecture. We walked further inside and I would ask questions. He would answer. He would show me things. We were just having a really great conversation and we got to a point of the mansion where he had asked me if I brought a swimsuit because we were about to go back and join everybody outside. There were models swimming and that. I had a photo shoot that day and one the following day, so I didn't bring a swimsuit to go swimming at the, at the party. He asked me if I had one, and I said I did not, that I really hadn't intended on swimming. And he said, well, I have some. And he, that's when he opened the drawer and pulled some out and said, you know, do you want to put one on? I said, sure. And I went into the bathroom and changed into one and came out, and we joined everyone at the party. And when we went out there, he said, wow, now that's a stunning Trump girl. And I was flattered by that. I didn't feel, and I, one thing I don't like too is, you know, some of the anchors are starting to use the language of the times. They're starting to say, paraded, paraded her out there. And, you know, and that's, that's, that's ugly. That's negative to me. He didn't parade me anywhere. All right. That was Rowan Brewer Lane. And she was featured prominently in this New York Times uh, hit piece that said, crossing the line, how Donald Trump behaved with women in private. Not only that, we interviewed her yesterday. We interviewed Sonata Azom. And joining us now, somebody else that was mentioned in the piece, you might remember her, Carrie Prejean is with us. And she was 21 years old when she participated in the Miss USA contest. She was Miss California 
uh, and she's become a friend over the years. We've interviewed her many times. Carrie, how are you? Hi, Sean. Good to be with you. Good. What's happened? So you told the story in your book, and now didn't the New York Times reach out to you and you said you had nothing negative to say about Mr. Trump? Well, back in March, they, when they started this whole campaign against him, um, there were several reporters that had reached out to me telling me that they were doing an interview about Trump and women and how he treats women. And I told them, I'm not going to be doing an interview at this time. I said, I'm not interested. I'm a mom. I, you know, I'm a wife. I started a business. I, I'm not interested. And I said, and by the way, I have nothing bad to say about him. So go get it from someone else. And so what did they do? They quoted something from my book. And what upsets me is they say in this article in the New York Times, they say the New York Times interviewed dozens of women who had worked with or for Mr. Trump. And so it made it seem like they interviewed me recently, which that's not true. So they're lying. And I just came on to clear the air. Yeah. Now, in your book, you did tell one story where Mr. Trump, I guess he was running the whole Miss USA contest at the time, right? So it's not like he yeah. was there in and of his yeah. own volition. Right, right. He he was the owner of the Miss Universe organization. He owned the, the beauty pageant. I mean, let's be, let's be clear here. This is a beauty contest. Right. It's a beauty contest. It's everything. By the way, which I could never participate you in. You, you don't want to see me in a bikini and in a nightgown. <laughs> it wouldn't look good. Or high heels. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, this is comical. I mean, they, they took a little tiny thing from my book, and they twisted it. And if they would have actually read on, I talk very highly of Mr. Trump. I don't say anything negative about him. And you know what? It was a beauty contest, and we were all excited to meet him at the time. And I was putting in context what goes on behind the scenes of a beauty pageant. I was not saying anything negative about him. And they, they should have wrote that in the article and they didn't and that's why i'm coming out and speaking out on your program because that upsets me and they're not going to put words in my mouth and make it seem like i don't like donald trump and i and and i think that he's you know degrades women he does not he gives women amazing opportunities and i was one of those women who he helped you know what you say read on what was your experience like with mr trump at the time i mean I mean, you, you you were put in the hot spot very early on in your life, and I remember the controversy well, and, and that's when I mm-hmm. first got to know you. Right. And and I thought you handled it all with a lot of grace, and I thought it was very tough for you, and you, you stood your ground, and you didn't back down, and, and you took a lot of heat from a pretty liberal media. But So these are beauty contests. I understand. Yeah. We all understand what a beauty contest is and what it involves. There's a swimsuit section. There's the nightgown section. There's the talent yeah. section. So, yeah. I mean, and we know— there's no what, section for—they don't, they don't have— place for a woman to have a brain i guess so <laughs> yeah oh, you're not you have to think a certain way carrie i mean otherwise you know you're you're not you're not able to com- compete or participate according to some of the judges but right. so what was it like you're 21 years old mm-hmm. was were beauty pageants good for you as you look back now at this point in your life i know you're married i know you have two yeah. wonderful kids I mean, it's been it's been seven years and you know what it really taught me sean was you know, I spoke from my heart, and I gave an honest answer. I was given a question. It, was, it, was, it shouldn't have been asked. And I was given a question, and I gave an honest answer. And I stand by that still to this day. I have no regrets. And Donald Trump was the only one, along with you and several other people, who really had my back. Donald Trump had my back. He had given me so many opportunities after the pageant was over. He held a huge press conference saying that I would remain Miss California. And he had my back. And he told me, you know, whatever you want to do in life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help, you know, you get to where you want to be in life. And I thought that was, that was very, very, you know, honorable of him to do that. You know, he didn't need to help me and he didn't need to, 
you know, stick up for me the way that he did. And he gave me so many opportunities and he let me write my book. You know, that was one of the things that was going on that I said, that's the only thing that I want to do, Mr. Trump, is to be able to tell my story and share with the world what really happened. And he let that happen for me. And so I, I honestly, I, I owe everything to him because if it wasn't for him, I would have never had my story been told. And it just would have been what everybody hears from the left-wing media, which is mostly lies. Let me ask this. I mean, it sounds like you're very active in politics and paying attention to all this. And, and it really is painful when you're taken out of context like this. Oh, yeah. And and you're describing somebody who is a friend to you at a time where maybe maybe a lot of people weren't friendly to you. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's when it matters the most in life. Um, you know, are you going to vote for him? Are you supporting him? Well, I mean, honestly, Sean, he he really I mean, let's be honest. He's an, he's the Republican nominee. He we, we have to support him. I mean, he he is going to do so many things for this country. I mean, he was my boss at a time, you know, when I was Miss California and he didn't need to help me. This, you know, beauty queen who. You know, he didn't, he didn't need to do that for me, and he did, because he cares about people. He has a heart. You know, that, that's why I wanted to come on your show to clear the air, because the New York Times really did, you know, they tried to make it seem like I, I you know, have this bad taste in my mouth for Donald Trump. Well, you know what? He helped me. He helps a lot of women. And you know what? I'm the only one out of thousands of women. There's thousands of women that have competed over the years in the Miss Universe organization and in Miss USA. Where are those women at? Where are, all the, where are all the women at who he's helped? You know why? Everyone is so worried about being politically correct. That's why they don't want to speak up and stand up. But you know what? I'm tired of that. And I'm proud of him. I'm, I'm proud that he speaks his mind and that he says a lot of things what a lot of people are too scared to say. And, and yes, I do support him. Yeah. You know, you're describing, a, it, it's so amazing. And, and this is the thing about this piece, Carrie. You read this piece, they create an image. Mm-hmm. Now, of somebody that mm-hmm. is just the direct opposite of what you are describing. And you're not the first person here to repudiate this article. I right. mean, as I mentioned, it, it was Roanne Brewer Lane and said they purposefully took out of context yeah. how I felt and what I said about Donald Trump. Yeah, that's uh, it, exactly it was, what they did here. It was Sonata Azom, who I had on yesterday. She said she never worked with the more amazing guy who gave her opportunity. She came from war-torn Bosnia and became one of the top real estate sellers and a vice president of one of his companies. Mm-hmm. And, and even the one person that I watched being interviewed last night, Barbara Rez, she was a little negative, but it was like so mild. Oh, yeah. you like candy. I'm like, yeah, they're you know, digging. Real, they're digging and they can't find anything. So yeah. they need to give up. They need to give um, up. You know, it's I, I, it's what was life like for you? How many years did you spend in the pageant world? It's a pretty tough life. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. I, yeah, started, I, mean, I started doing pageants when I was 17 and then I did Miss USA when I was 21. So, yeah, I mean, and that's a pretty amazing thing. You become Miss California and then you, you go on to the Miss USA, Miss Universe pageants and. Oh, yeah. um, it's a very competitive, very tough uh, business. So from that point on your life, when you move forward after the controversy, tell me what happened. Because, you know, a lot of times I have noticed that, that people that get involved in the public eye in a really big controversy mm-hmm. like you did. And by the way, you just gave an honest answer. I know. And you said, I'm like, yeah. what is so controversial about it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right. I'm a Christian. I have Christian beliefs. Yeah. I believe in traditional marriage. Problem? Well, this, I, well yeah. Yeah. So what, goes what to show you how the how the 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 left-wing media is. They want to silence you. They want to destroy you. They want to make you go away. If you have anything, 
you know, they want to they wanna basically make you make a fool of you. And they tried to do that with me, but they, it didn't work. It didn't work. And the only reason, Sean, why I'm speaking out now, and I wouldn't have done and I wouldn't have said anything, but this New York Times piece really upset me because I went out of my way to tell them I have nothing bad to say about Donald Trump. And I said, you can try to find an interview with someone else. Go to the other, you know, contestants and ask them what they think. I, I wanted to stay out of it. But as soon as they wrote this piece, without even getting an interview from me and making it seem like I gave them an exclusive, you know, they took a little tiny thing from my book about, they totally took it out of context. I mean, I was saying what goes on behind the scenes. And and they lied and said it was backstage. It wasn't backstage. It was on stage. And he was meeting all the contestants. So what? He walked by and said, hmm, you know, so what? He's... (laughs) He's the owner of the pageant. We were excited to meet him, and, and they totally took it out of context, and they just ran with it, and it just goes to show how dishonest they are, I mean, really. And so I just want to clear, clear the record out there that I, I have nothing but amazing things to say about Donald Trump. He has helped so many women, and it's time they come out of the woodwork, and it's time they start speaking, speaking their mind and saying how, you know, what such wonderful things that, they, that he's done for them, so many careers, so many opportunities he helps so many women, and it's time we stand up for him. You know, I am actually really stunned at, at, to the level of passion you have and the degree of betrayal you feel because yeah. you're telling them this is not true, this is not true, this is not true. And then they, they had a pre-written story. Now, I, I did a little research and a little background on this guy that wrote this piece, mm-hmm. and he's all over Twitter. He's not an objective reporter. He's all yeah. over Twitter trashing Donald Trump. He, they had already decided what yeah. the article was going to say, and it didn't matter what anybody was going to say that was going to contradict it because, mm-hmm. you know, they had already made up their mind. This guy was hardly objective in any way. And yeah. now the New York Times once again finds itself in a huge uh, controversy. Uh, Newsbusters actually went out and they found the, the tweets of this guy, and it's pretty revealing because, you know, yourself, I mean, it's a very yeah. powerful testimony, and all the other women. I'm well, told if they that- would have done their due diligence and spoken the truth just below what they quoted on page 68. I said I that most of, of us respect Donald Trump, and he's an amazing businessman and leader. Why didn't they put that in the piece? Why didn't they put that in the piece, Sean? Why did they take it out of context and make it seem like we pageant beauty queens dislike Donald Trump and that we think he degrades women? That is ridiculous, and it's time that I speak up because I'm tired of this. It's been seven years, but I'm tired of it. They're not going to put words in my mouth. You know, what do you say to people on the left that think that pageants are bad for women? And, and meanwhile, you're describing a wonderful experience that you enjoyed thoroughly and, and enriched your life. Yeah, I mean, there's good and bad. I mean, I, I went into the pageants, you know, wanting an amazing career. You know, I wanted to maybe do sports journalism. You know, I was a huge athlete before. And and so I thought, okay, this is my opportunity to really launch my career. There's so many women. After they do Miss USA, they have amazing careers. They go on to do amazing things. Um, And so, you know, I wanted to do that. And so when I was asked this question at the pageant, it kind of threw me off a little bit because I'm like, here I am, a woman that actually has a brain and, you know, has opinions <laughs> about things, but yet I'm not allowed to show my opinion. And if I do, 
They're no, they they expected you to give the the uh, well, I want world peace and yeah. uh, and you know the rehearsed answer that was phony, and you gave an exactly. honest answer. You know what I I came to admire about you is your ability to stand up for yourself. You never wavered. You yeah. never backed down. You never cowered. You you stood your ground. I know a lot of people turned on you, and and I yeah. watched you go through that with about as much grace as I've seen anybody go through a firestorm like that. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you spoke out because I think you really have exposed for people here just how vicious and how corrupt the news yeah, media in this country corrupt. is. And anyway, yeah, me too. Well, we'll see you on TV tonight. You're going to join us. And, and we look forward I to having they you. They owe me an apology for that because they took it out of context. And I don't I don't appreciate them doing that. I think they do owe you an apology, but yeah. don't hold your breath. You're not going to last long. Yeah. Uh, I know. Oh, you'll be holding it forever. Uh, <laughs> I'll be holding it forever. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Carrie Prejean. Thank you, Miss California. Um, Wow. Now there's another woman, I'm told, that also has refuted what the New York Times printed. Apparently the Telegraph Temple Taggart of Utah. She said, no, that's not true. Another one. The whole story is blown up. Paper of record? Yeah. When are they going to do the interviews with Juanita Broderick and Kathleen Willey and Paula Jones and Hillary's involvement in covering up and smearing and besmirching and slandering those women? Ted Cruz supporters, uh, should they support Donald Trump or not? Well, in Texas, which is where my audience typically is, and that is, uh, it is for them to figure their pathway out. The, the main thing that we talked about, what that you just showed uh, in my convention speech just this past week, uh, and that is, as we work our pathway forward, uh, we do have a choice. It's not like none of the above is a potential option. Right. Uh, and we see the devastation uh, that Hillary Clinton would wreck upon the United States of America. She would be far worse than just an extension of the Obama agenda. She promises to even worsen the Obama agenda. You know, we have a, a big problem in the state of Texas with regard to our border, with regard to illegal immigration. And based upon the things that she has said so far, she would make that problem even worse. So, so this is an easy choice for you at this point. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I made it clear from the very beginning. Uh, that I would be supporting whoever the Republican nominee is. And, and the choices that are on the table, uh, obviously, Hillary is the wrong choice for America, the wrong choice for Texans. Texans will robustly come out uh, and support uh, a campaign against Hillary Clinton. All right, that was Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. By the way, he authored a new book out today. It's called Broken and Unbowed, and he describes firsthand what it's like to be on the battlefield in the historic fights that have refined our Constitution and Obviously, the lessons that uh, he's learned along the way, offering solutions to bring us a, a government that lives up to its uh, American dream. Um, you know, I never thought I always loved Governor Rick Perry an awful lot. And uh, Governor Abbott is, has followed up on the great governance of Perry, and he's doing a great job in Texas. One of the few states that are actually thriving in this day and age. Can't say that about the other 49 or at least 47 of them anyway. Um, Governor Abbott, good to talk to you. How are you? Congratulations on the book. Sean, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. You know, you use the word battlefield. I do want to share very quickly something that you will like, and that is that the proceeds from that book, Broken Unbowed, uh, go to our warriors who do fight on the battlefield. They go to veterans in in an organization called Operation Finally Home that provides homes for veterans who were injured in battle. And that's the least we can do to help the men and women who wear the uniform of the mightiest military in the history of the world. Yeah, well, listen— you know, it, one of the things, I've gotten to know you over the years a little bit, and, and as I said, I've, I knew Rick Perry really well. He's, he's not probably not the best campaigner I've ever met, but he did a great job as governor. I think he would have been a great president. And you lost your ability to walk uh, when an oak tree crashed down on your back, fracturing your, your vertebrae into your spinal cord, and you were paralyzed. Now, 
One of the things, Governor, I've learned in life, the people that have had those types of traumas or people that have overcome cancer or something really traumatic, they, to me, in the course of my life, I find to be the most thoughtful, the most aware and the most appreciative people. And I don't for the for the life of me, I think it's that experience that just wakes them up to a degree that the rest of us can't wake up for some reason. Am I wrong? This is correct. No, no, no. Your analysis is spot on. My my life uh, took a turn for the better after my accident because it made me far more aware of the necessity of living each and every day uh, in a very productive way, in a way that will uh, help our country uh, move forward, but also it deepened my connection with God. And so, uh, oddly enough, as hard as this may be to understand, uh, after the accident that put me in a wheelchair, my life is even better than it was before. I mean, do you know how odd that must sound to a lot of people? Because you see people in wheelchairs and you say, wow, that's got to be so hard. And you're saying your life is better. That I, I think that's an inspiration for a lot of people. We all think we have problems, Governor, until we realize we really don't. Um, you know, I meet and these you know, guys that, yeah, you sure. know, that, that fight in battle and they lose their legs and have their faces blown up. And and the the level of joy that they have is inspiring to me. And it makes me feel like an idiot for thinking I have so many problems. And I had the same attitude before my accident, but after my accident, I realized, you know, God gave me a life, and God gave me an opportunity uh, to live that life, and as long as I seek every single day to do God's will, uh, then it is a cherished moment. And what I urge people, everyone, to understand, and each one of your listeners right now, uh, they have challenges in their own lives. It could be a physical challenge, it could be a mental challenge, it could be a financial challenge, whatever the challenge may be. And what's important is they not allow their lives to be defined by those challenges instead by how they overcome those challenges. Well, I think that is a great inspiration and a lesson for all of us, and I think we should really heed your words of wisdom. How do you feel about this presidential race? I feel the presidential race is a challenge. And we as a nation are going to be defined by the way that we overcome this challenge. Sean, we are at a turning point in the United States of America right now. You've seen the day. I'm sorry. I think we're, we just lost the governor there. Governor, did we lose you or you just did a bad sell? I think he's got a Sports Illustrated football phone. We'll try and get the governor back here. 800-941-SEAN is a toll-free telephone number. In the meantime, we'll take a quick call. We have uh, Tommy is in Orlando, News 96.5 WDBO. Tommy, how are you? I'm great, Sean. How are you? I'm good. What's going on? I'm good. I just wanted to let you know I've been a listener for about the last 10 years. Um, you, along with uh, Rush, woke me up uh, about 10 years ago. I'm a, I'm a registered Democrat, but I'm one of four Democrats in the state of Florida, and three Libertarians will be crossing over to vote for Donald in, in the uh, general election. Well, you know, that's interesting to me because I think on a lot of issues, I, I think that any honest Democrat, this is my opinion— that is, watch the Obama years. Now, with Obama, you got everything Democrats have ever wanted. You got your universal health care. You've got big government spending. And what do we have? Millions more in poverty on food stamps, uh, not working, record numbers of people out of the labor force, and median income down 5,000, a doubling of our national debt. I mean, and I'm trying to say to my liberal friends, what part of this is working for you? Because it's, it's literally hurting so many people. Those policies don't work. They never have. They never will. Why do you think your fellow Democrats can't see that? Um, I think the difference between most of my, uh, a lot of my friends that are Democrat, they can't see that. I'm a small business owner, and I've seen it firsthand. And I, I'm, 
I have a lot of friends who are both Democrat and Republican. Actually, one of my best friends is, is Republican. He and his wife and his two kids are voting for Donald as well. And I watched two of the debates with him at their house. And um, yeah. he's a small business owner as well. So I think that's one of the big differences, I, I think, outside of the box. so Good for you. Well, you know, I Democrats just like people. Don't. Look, it's like, you know, for example, I, I've said when Republicans are right, I'll support them. And I think Republicans have been weak and timid and feckless and lacking vision, especially in Washington. And it's extremely frustrating to me. Anyway, thanks for the call. I see we have the uh, governor back. Governor Abbott of Texas is back with us. Governor, you were you were just talking about you mentioned your book proceeds are going to soldiers and and building homes. Uh, I work with a group here in New York, building homes for heroes. And and uh, I'm going to a dinner of theirs in June that I'm honored to be at. And uh, so tell us again what you're doing. This is called Operation Finally Home, and it builds uh, mortgage-free homes for our soldiers uh, who've been injured in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, overseas. Uh, and they finally come home. And think about the magnitude of, of what this says. Uh, they are they are finally back home, uh, and yet they arrive back in a country uh, where freedom is not as available as it was when they left home. They fought for our freedom. The least that we can do as Americans is to fight for the freedom they stood for by putting our country back on the right pathway. And that's exactly what my book, Broken But Unbowed, gets into. Uh, That's pretty amazing. The question I was asking you before we got disconnected, how do you feel about this election, this presidential race? Uh, Listen, it's clear that America is extremely frustrated. Uh, It shows uh, in the rise of Donald Trump. It shows in the rise of Bernie Sanders. Uh, that the status quo is, is no longer going to cut it. We need a game changer. Uh, and what I can tell you is that if Hillary Clinton is elected, uh, she will be nothing more than an extension of the disastrous Obama years. Remember this. Hillary was part of the disastrous Syrian policy uh, of Barack Obama's regime. Remember what she did with regard to Benghazi. Remember her embrace uh, of an open border system, of allowing even more people to cross our border illegally. And, of course, she will extend the disastrous economic policies by the Obama administration. You were just talking about uh, the jobs-based issue. And it's a big challenge, and the reason is because of the heavy-handed regulations of Obamacare, of Dodd-Frank, of uh, all these different laws that have been passed under the Obama administration. We need a president who will pull uh, the anchor, the weight, off of the backs of the business creators and job creators in this country, and that means uh, not electing Hillary Clinton. Well, I agree with you. Are you uh, do you like most of Trump's agenda? Do you feel? I do. And listen, there, there, there's something that you talk to Trump about that I think is really good. By the and, way, actually, somebody is... listened to my interviews with Trump. Oh, Hannity, you're too easy on Trump. Well, I was I was trying to get these candidates to talk and explain their philosophy. Good grief! Sorry, you can't right. answer a question in thirty seconds. Go ahead. You you did something with him that was fabulous, and and that is, uh, he said to you that he is going to identify a list of 10 people he will recommend to the United States Supreme Court. I've never heard of a president or a presidential candidate do that before. That should be a litmus test going forward for all presidential candidates so that when Americans go vote for a president, they know who that president would put on the United States Supreme Court. That is vital to the future of this country. I think it's the defining issue. I really do. You know, this. Uh, look, I, there's certain questions that I've asked every candidate. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little frustrated with some D.C. Republicans that are, I think, looking for their own power in some ways. But, you know, if you look at his agenda, he says repeatedly he wants to balance the budget. He wants better trade deals. What's wrong with negotiating a better trade deal? Uh, he says he wants energy independence. 
He says that he wants to help our vets out that have been literally, you know, mistreated by the government. I mean, it's horrible what we've done to them. He wants to rebuild our military. He identifies radical Islamists for what they are. And I'm like, well, what part of that is Hillary going to support? What kind of judges would she appoint? What is she going to do with Obamacare? And to me, it's a no-brainer. Exactly. As you go through the list of issues, uh, it is a no-brainer. It's a difference between night and day for the future of this country. And uh, if we go down the wrong path, it's going to be a very dark future for our nation. Are you confident Texas goes red for Donald Trump and whoever his running mate is? I'll say no doubt. Uh, Listen, Texas is a very Republican state. We're a very conservative state. We have things going the right way in the state of Texas. uh, And I feel very confident that, that Texas is in the Trump column. All right, uh, Governor, you're an inspiration. You really are. And his new book, Broken and Unbowed, Governor Abbott of Texas. Thank you, sir. You're, you're a great American and a good friend. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. All right, 800-941-SEAN. Well, I've got to suck up to the governor of Texas. I might be a resident there one day. God knows I'm not wanted in my own state of New York. All right, to our phones we go as we say hi next to uh, Kelly is in Florida. Kelly, how are you? Glad you're uh, with us. Uh, I'm doing good, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. What's happening? Thank you. So I've heard a lot of talk. But one of the arguments that people like to use against Donald Trump is how he's donated all this money to liberals. And we can't trust him because he gives money to liberals. But I want to turn that whole paradigm on its head and look at it this way. Trump donates money to everybody. And he's given out millions and millions of dollars to all these people over the years. Hillary, on the other hand, sucks in money. She's taken money from the whole world, including countries that hate us. So which one of those two do you want in the Oval Office? Do you want the one that holds all the markers that everybody owes him? So when he needs to, he can pick up the phone and say, all right, you owe me. It's time to do what I want. Or do you want the one who has been bought and paid for by the whole planet, and they're going to be calling her saying, hey, I paid you. Time to do what I want. You know, I got to tell you something. I think the greatest payoff more than any other And again, I'd like to see what she said in the speeches to the Wall Street bankers and everybody else that she refuses to release. And yet they're demanding they want to see Trump's tax returns. Well, he either paid his taxes or he didn't. I don't see that he's been handcuffed. So I'm not that really worried that Donald Trump used tax loopholes like every business uses. But I'd like to know what she said to them. But I think the thing that is most puzzling and troubling to me is how Hillary Clinton, the champion of women's rights, has taken money from countries that abuse women. And I'm talking about Saudi Arabia and and how they treat women as second-class citizens who can't vote, drive, are told what to wear, whether they can even go out in public. They have to have a male relative. Uh, She takes their money, but she doesn't criticize their policies. So that tells me that they bought and and paid for asylum. Yeah, and then they're going to call her, and they're going to say, okay, it's time to make decisions that are in our favor because you owe us. Saudi Arabia, look, I understand the need that you have to balance the Sunni-Shia problem. And, yeah, the Sunni uh, Saudis could help us against Iran and and bring stability in the Middle East. But I got to tell you, they've been so duplicitous and dishonest over the years. I, I have a very hard time with Saudi Arabia. I really do. All right. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 